Amen. Amen. Wow. Let it be today we shout the hymn of heaven with angels and saints. Wow. I mean, if that doesn't make the hair stand up here on your arm, something's wrong because that day's coming. That's in our future. Of course, we have to live through our todays and be what Jesus wants us to be to get to that day that's coming where we say it is the day we shout the hymn of heaven. So I'm excited about that. I get excited in worship. I get excited to be able to share with you. It's actually been quite a long time since I've had an opportunity uh, to stand before a congregation. Uh, My preaching professor always uh, drove home the point that you never tell people you're nervous. So I'm not telling you I'm nervous because I'm really not. I might be a little unnerved three years later, but he said, let the crowd figure out how you feel. You just give them what the word says. So here we go then, let's do that. Uh, My humble beginnings took place back in 1959. Long before some of you might have even been around, but I grew up on a small beef farm in Pennsylvania. In 1980, I married the prettiest girl that I'd ever met. And she still is, and you can tell her so if you want to. But anyways, together we have four children, Joshua, Rebecca, Danielle, and Sadie, and Joanne and I moved here to Alabama in 2020. Let's look at what God has for us to say. We're going to take a look this morning at the ninth chapter in the book of Luke. If you're going to be using the Bibles that are there in the rack in front of you, that's going to be page 866. Or if you brought your Bible with you, I hope that you'll open it up. I'm going to kind of step my way through that passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing at once. So if you do open your Bible, go ahead and leave it open if you're one who wants to follow along. Uh, In this biblical account, Luke describes what I think is the beginning of a new era for Christ followers. Uh, it's a directive for them, but it's a directive for us. Back in chapter 5, if you remember, we learned about Jesus beginning to choose the disciples. Between now and then, their journey has been amazing in this passage. Mostly passive, they've followed along with Jesus. They watched Jesus do amazing things. I think there were a lot of wide eye and jaw drop moments as they got used to just what this man they were following could do in the lives of others. I mean, just as far in Luke's account, he's cleansed a leper, he's healed a paralytic, he's healed a man's withered hand, he's healed a Roman centurion's servant, and he wasn't even there at the house. He did it long distance, healing. He raised a widow's son, and then last week, Pastor Josh, as he was teaching us, We found out that he calmed a storm, power over nature, that he removed a legion of demons from a man. If you're a guy, you might be thinking, boy, we lost a lot of bacon in that deal when all those pigs ran down the bank and killed themselves. But but praise God for his power to be able to do that. And then, of course, he healed the woman with the issue of blood. She'd dealt with that for 12 years and instantly Jesus took it away. Wow, praise the Lord. And he healed Jairus' daughter. So from the disciples' perspective, up until this point, you might say they could explain it as, well, Jesus did, and Jesus did, and Jesus did. So they're just watching what he's doing. And it's apparent that they followed everywhere he went. Yet those recorded miracles of Jesus, there's a lot in God's word, but they're not all that Jesus did. 
And if you look at John 21, 25, John tells us there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Wow, Jesus did. Oh, and he's still doing, right? Amen. Jesus, power. Let's take a look uh, at our scripture this morning. First section, verses 1 to 6 of Luke chapter 9, reads like this. And he called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there. From there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed. And they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Author Max Lucado in his book, No Wonder They Call Him the Savior, talks about the cross of Christ as a hinge. It's a hinge that swung the flow of history. It's a single event on the timeline of humanity that changed the world's direction. But like the cross, I think there's a little bit of a hinge in this passage. Jesus says to the disciples, you've been following now go. It swings it around and puts the ball in our court as follower of Jesus, followers of Jesus. He says, tell the world, spread the message, the good news of Jesus. So up to this point, the history of the Jewish people probably wasn't real evangelistic. Folks, this is a new day for them to be told, hey, go tell people about your Messiah. But then He's telling us that too. See, the truth is God has a plan and a purpose for each of his children. Look back at verses 1 and 2, and you'll see that uh, he called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over demons to cure illnesses, and he sent them out. Those are the two words that jump off the page to me on that Jesus called the 12 disciples. Jesus sent the 12 disciples. No doubt that action that Christ took immediately following those words is pretty amazing. I mean, after all, he gave them power for demon chasing, to heal diseases. Come on, that's amazing that they'd be able to do that at this point. But think about it. How would you feel? I mean, I'm guessing that many of us know people who are struggling with diseases, many of them maybe even life-threatening cancer. I have a very, very dear brother-in-law who's struggling kind of later stages with Parkinson's. Breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. But what if somebody came to me and said, hey, Jerry, travel back out there. What if Jesus, because it'd have to be him, not somebody. Hey, Jerry, travel back up there and you know, lay your hand on, on Lynn's shoulder. I never had a brother. I have four sisters. Lynn is my brother even though he's my brother-in-law, <clears throat> lay your hand on his shoulder and, and pray and ask God that he might heal him. And Lynn would suddenly understand everything, be able to walk on solid footing again and remember. And it would be like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what it would be like. But you have people like that, that it would be the same way. 
Jesus called and Jesus sent and gave them power to do what they needed to do. He sent them out to do what only they had only witnessed him doing, so there probably was a lot of question. However, what if they would not have done as Jesus asked them to do? What if we don't follow Jesus when he calls us to do something? How many miracles would have been left unaccomplished? Would word of the miraculous events that did take place have spread? No, because it didn't take place. Innumerable people would not have come to follow Jesus. It started here. And the faith of the disciples themselves would have pretty much flatlined. It would have been status quo, same as it always was. So the bottom line, it makes a huge difference in our world when Jesus followers actually follow Jesus and do what he asks them to do. It's a fact. There's a distinct difference, folks, between being a believer in Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. I believe him so much that I would follow him wherever he asked me to go. That is huge. My fellow Christians, we can make a difference in the world when we follow where Jesus asks us to go. Remember, this isn't the first time that these folks were called by Jesus. There's 11 men who had a clear, concise, and specific call to become disciples of this rabbi. And in their culture, and in this day, that was huge. They went to school from ages 5 to 10, and then the boys went with their fathers to learn the trade, the girls went with their mothers to become homemakers, and if they were pretty good students, which probably wouldn't have included me, by the way, they were able to go on to what maybe we would call secondary education, but they went on to higher levels of learning until age 15. And then at that point, it was done, their education, unless, unless they were very, very gifted students who seemed very interested in learning. Uh, then they would seek out a rabbi to follow for the rest of their lives. What a commitment. And they weren't just wanting to like learn everything he knew. Their rabbi, they wanted to become just like him. They wanted to pattern their lives after the man that they chose to follow. The greatest words that they could hear from the rabbi that they hoped to be able to follow was for him to say, follow me. Those are the greatest words they could hear. We know that the calling of Jesus' disciples wasn't quite this way because these were plain, ordinary men. They weren't men who'd made it through the educational system and, and had graduated, if you will, to that point. They were from all walks of life. There were fishermen. There was a despised tax collector. There was a zealot. We would call him a radical or an extremist today. It's doubtful that these men had any aspirations to follow a rabbi. But of course, these men didn't actually seek to follow Jesus. Jesus called them to follow him. There's a big difference. He chose them. Judas was the only one who actually asked Jesus if he could follow him. And wow, the journey. Life with Jesus, one amazing day after another. 
Some of us might even say that if we're walking the steps that Jesus is leading us on. Wow, life with Jesus is pretty exciting. I imagine that this first calling that they experienced, they, they could barely believe it. I mean, they didn't even know Jesus well. They did suspect that he might be that long-awaited Messiah. They probably went to their family and friends and said, you can't believe what just happened to me. You know the man Jesus who showed up and he seems like he might be the promise. He asked me to follow him. He came to me, a lowly fisherman, smelly, dirty. He wants me to follow him. I mean, it had to be exciting that Jesus wanted them to follow him. And the second time they called, that Jesus called them, which is what our pastor of our passage of Scripture is talking about, eh, that might not have been quite as exciting. He was now calling upon them to do things that they had never done and things that they were probably uncertain they could actually be able to do. Even more was the unknown. Oh, what are we going to get into? He's sending us out. He's not going with us. He's sending us out to this town, and you're going to this town, and you're going. What are we going to get into? We don't know. So I guess following Jesus sometimes has a little unknown in it, doesn't it? And it did for these men too. Most of us at one point or another maybe even have been where these disciples are right now, having to do something that we're not real certain about, not real confident in doing, but knowing that it's what we need to do. It's what we need to get done. And if I were one of those disciples on this day, I might have been saying, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, 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 I'm like, you know, Moses. I can't even speak well. I can't go to Pharaoh. That's what God wanted him to do, isn't it? And that's what he did. Or maybe like Gideon hiding in a cave saying, I can't take on the army of the Midianites. I'm just a little boy. But what happened in that story? Jars of clay, broken for defeat. Never forget that just like Jesus called the early disciples to complete his will for them, he has chosen each one of us to do the same thing. No, it might not be defeat a whole army or, you know, go up against Pharaoh, the, you know, the leaders of the day, but he's chosen us to do the things that he wants us to do. The apostle John records Jesus' words. Jesus said this, and John recorded it. In chapter 15, verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and there, that your fruit should abide, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Friends, if you've been invited, if you have invited, excuse me, Jesus into your life to be your Savior, to be your Lord, then you experience the same initial calling that these disciples did when Jesus bid to your heart and mind, follow me, come to an altar, pray a prayer of repentance, ask me to come into your life and to dwell with you. That's the initial calling. Pastor Josh has been, has been making that clear and very understandable the last few weeks at the end of the service that if you don't know Jesus is your savior, and he hasn't said this, but I'm going to say you're on the outside of this excitement. You're looking in. There won't be a day when you'll stand before 
the angels and, and sing a song of victory if you're just looking through the window. You know what? Window shopping will leave you disappointed every single time. Oh, it's fun, you know, looking at the things you want through the big storefronts, the window shopping. But I'm going to tell you, don't make the mistake of window shopping your spiritual life. People who know about Jesus, they know a lot about Jesus, but they never take the moment to invite him into their life and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for the things that I've done. I'm, I want to repent of my sins. I want to invite you to be my savior. I want to follow you in the waters of baptism. That's what it is, dying to your old self and coming into new life in Christ. What an exciting time. I realize some of you at this point might even be saying to yourself, well, I'm sure enough a Christian. I remember the moment in time when I invited Jesus into my, I do, 1975, Edinburgh Conference Grounds, family camp, Reverend Paul Harvey, or Reverend Richard Harvey, his dad, was preaching. I remember the illustration. He had a deck of cards, and every time he'd make a point, he whoo, and he could throw that card. There's a thousand people in that auditorium, and the people in the middle better look out, or they get a card cut on the side of their head. He, it was an amazing illustration. I don't remember what it was about, but... Uh, <laughs> Somehow it must have been about something because I invited Jesus to be my savior that night and I'm still excited about being a child of God. But it started back then. So it's, it's pretty exciting. <sighs> but you might say, I, I am a Christian. I know I am. But you know what? God isn't calling me to do anything special. I'm just living my life day to day. I beg to differ with you at least according to God's word. The prophet Jeremiah spoke God's words to the people who were exiled in Babylon. They're not in a great place. They're not doing what they want to do. They're not living the life. They're exiled in a foreign country that isn't even godly. But this is what Jeremiah told them. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, often translated as peace, Plans for welfare and not for evil. God says, I have plans to give you a future and a hope. He has that same plan for us. So it's not about if God has a plan. It's about what plan does God have for you to be involved in. I guarantee it's not just to warm these seats on Sunday morning. We can turn the heat up if we want to do that. It's about Monday through Saturday, and then come back for a recharge the next Sunday. Be involved in ministry and serving Jesus throughout the week. And you're like, I'm too old for that. Well, we were homeless once in between two ministries. We had no place to go. And a little old lady literally took us in. My wife, myself, Becky and Sadie were about to make their first trip to Africa, and we didn't have any place to live. And they're trying to pack their outfit. And it was just quite a time. Okay, it's where God had us. And dear little old Betty, who was a pastor's wife, her husband had died. She was already in her 90s probably. She said, well, you can come live in my basement. If you need a place to live, come on, move in. And we did for a year. <laughs> but Betty's 101 now. Too old, right? She prays for our family Every one of us, including even baby Cora, who just arrived, she doesn't need a piece of paper to go down through. She's a prayer warrior. 
is what she is at 101. And she prays for so many. She's praying for me this morning, probably, as I preach. You know, it's just amazing. She's not too old, and neither are you. You say, well, yeah, but I'm pretty shy. Woo! Brothers and sisters, if you'd have known me when I was a kid, you'd say there is no way that old boy ever going to stand up in front of a crowd and talk to him. And I can tell you stories, but it's the journey God has led me on since I followed him to bring me to this point in my life. You're not too shy. You might not be willing, but you're not too shy. If you're willing, it'll be all right. Don't miss the fact that Jesus not only called his followers, but he gave them everything they needed to succeed and complete the task he had called them to. He was sending them on a mission with power and authority that could only come from God. It's often been said that Jesus, and this is so, this message fit my life so much that I don't really need my notes, but I'm going to use them just in case. He sent them with power and authority, and I know that Jesus doesn't necessarily always call people who are fully equipped to meet the calling, because I wasn't. I was a, a great C-plus student in high school, and in 1987, God said, I want, you to, I want you to go to college and prepare for vocational ministry. And I did do like Moses. And I said, well, I don't know about that. And we were at the same camp that I accepted Christ at. One night coming back from the service, I went out on a limb and I said to Joanne, you know, I said, it's really kind of weird, but I, I almost feel like God's like placing a special call in my life to go into ministry. And I thought that I would, you know, she would either burst into tears or start screaming and running. I didn't know what to expect. But I certainly didn't expect her to stop and turn and say, you know what, that's really weird, me too. And we didn't actually go to Bible college till 1993. That's a story in itself. Lots of hesitation, lots of what I'm preaching about this morning, where I just didn't think I was adequate, didn't think I could do it, barely got through high school the way I wanted to, but graduated with honors in college because now I'm an older man and I got a focus. And that focus came from Jesus, came from God calling me. to. And I spent 20-some years in vocational ministry doing doing things that I never would have thought I could do. So don't, don't use any excuses with me because they don't work. God is calling you to do something for the kingdom of heaven. And you know what? When you're living out God's plan, people will notice that. If you're living the way Jesus called you to live, people are going to notice, and you don't even have to try. That's verses 7 through 9 of our scripture, which says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, Hmm, well, John, I beheaded. Well, and who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see Jesus. There it is, what I just told you will happen if you're living out what Jesus calls you to do. People will be perplexed. I don't know. I don't know what's different about them. It's a pretty simple concept. Live out your faith in God, and you will have opportunity to share it in various ways. 
Herod probably felt threatened. Maybe he was even confused by Jesus. But whatever the case, his feelings made him want to know more about Jesus. He sought to see Jesus. The ironic thing is, he didn't get to see him until Jesus was brought into his court just before he was crucified, but he did get to see Jesus before he died. So that's, again, that's a Bible study of its own that you can be involved in. Uh, whatever the case was, his feelings wanted him to seek Jesus. And <clears throat> folks, we have times in our lives where people will come up to you and they'll say, I've, I've had it happen. I hope you have as you live your life for Christ. Say, something different about you. I can't figure out what it is, but it just seemed, you seem different. You know, maybe you don't cuss as much as I do, or maybe you help people more readily. I don't know what it is that Jesus is calling you to do, because often it's just simple day-to-day -day tasks. Not everybody's going to be a pastor. Maybe you're called to be a Christian homemaker or Christian parents who will lead your kids to a place where you'll have to cry at the airport when they go off to Africa. All right, that's what God led us to do. So we did it. Is it easy? Nah, not really. But it's God's thing, so it's good. It sure enough is good. Even though your pre-Christian friends and neighbors might seem hesitant toward the things of the Lord, it doesn't mean they're not noticing. Be intentional in conversation. Tell others what Jesus means to you. Just simple, plain language. Don't use a bunch of Christianese stuff and talk about eschatology because they don't care. But they will care when they find out that Jesus can make a difference in their life, just like he made in your life. Tell someone who needs Jesus. We all know people who need Jesus, right? Tell someone who needs Jesus. Just tell them what he means to you. Make it a practice to use the name of Jesus in conversation. And I'm not talking about at church because it's easy here. Make it a practice in your daily life to talk about Jesus. Even the simple phrase, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that we have a beautiful day today. I tell sometimes people in a store that or whatever. But, uh, but it's just a little few words that let them know that I'm thankful to the one who controls the day that we have today or whatever it might be. So even that simple phrase, thank the Lord, introduces people to how you feel about Jesus. So this week, I'm going to challenge you. Make it a point to interject your faith wherever you go and to whomever you have opportunity to speak to. I spoke to a guy at work. I know that his situation was horrible. Living with a lady and, you know, drunk every night and an amazing ability to use the F word three times in every sentence, so much so it hardly made sense. And it's almost like, I don't even want to go there. He came to me told me his girlfriend had been murdered. Police won't even tell him anything about it or how it happened or anything. She has no family. He knows nothing about it. I expressed, you know, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry that you're walking through that. But you know what, Johnny? I can pray for you. Oh, I wish you would. I wish you'd pray for me. I said, well, I would love to be able to pray for you, but the first thing I'm going to pray is that you'll discover how important Jesus is in our lives. Jesus can help you in, in times like this. He can help you more than I can help you. So just a chance meeting. But when you're living out God's calling, people will notice it. 
So when you're talking about Jesus in your daily conversation, you know, Jesus even did that. He was the one with all the power. But in verses 10 to 17, we discover that Jesus testified of his power, proving that we can too. Let's read 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told him of all they had done. And he took them, he withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida, where the, where, I'm struggling. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them. He spoke to them of the kingdom of God. He cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away. The 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging, to get provisions, for we're here in the middle of nowhere in this desolate place. But he said to them, you'll give them something to eat. Can you imagine being told that by Jesus? You'll give them something to eat. And they said, oh, come on, we've got five loaves, two fish, so unless we go and buy food, and if you know some of the other uh, gospel writers would have said, and they made it clear there was no place even to go to buy food. Luke doesn't necessarily say that, but it's the truth. Uh, unless we go and buy food for these people, there's 5,000 men, 5,000 men, including women and children, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Jesus probably took a deep breath like I just did, and he said, well, have them sit down in groups of about 50, and so they did, and they had them all sit down. And Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven, said a blessing over that, and then he broke the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, he set them before the crowds, and they all ate, and they were satisfied. What was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. I think this might be one of the most familiar miracles. A lot of people know about the feeding of the 5,000, we call it. Uh, I also think it's one of the largest in proportion. I mean, think about it. 15,000 or more people? If I can round up that many, we'll be to your house today for lunch. Uh, none of you want any part of that. I used to do quite a bit of cooking at the camp. Off-season, crowds of 100 or less. I love to cook. I have absolutely no interest in preparing a meal for 15,000 hungry people in the desert. But Jesus has power to do these things. I have another question. Did Jesus need the bread and the fish to make more bread and fish? He didn't. Come on, God created out of nothing. So he didn't need that, but it's proof that he can use what you have and it will be enough if you give it to Jesus. He can use what you have and it will be enough. So the conservative estimate is around 15,000. I taught youth for a long time. I love to use examples and I was going to bring it, but you can picture it because we all know what a golf ball looks like. If you're familiar with Louis Giglio, you know that he used the golf ball to illustrate the size of one of the stars in one of his uh, videos that he did. I'm going to tell you, if a golf ball was a person, and if we had a five-gallon bucket full of golf balls, all representing people, we would need 50, 45 to 50 five-gallon buckets of golf balls up here on the stage this morning to illustrate the number of people that Jesus just prayed and blessed that little meager bit of food 
and there were 12 baskets left over. Come on, is he not somebody that you want to follow? Is he not the miracle worker that deserves our adoration and our attention? I sometimes speculate how Jesus might have felt in a moment like this. Maybe, but I doubt it. I mean, I really do, I doubt it. But just to be a little bit silly, maybe Jesus wanted to cry out, oh, come on! We just got done celebrating all the miraculous things you did when I sent you out, and now you're going to say, oh, I can't do it. Uh, He sometimes maybe feels that way about us, so let's hope not, right? Because he does call us to do things that are outside of our abilities to do. The Apostle Paul told the Philippian church, and he's telling us, that they can do all things through Christ who gives them strength. So my prayer for you, no, my prayer for all of us this morning as Christ followers is that we will step out in faith to serve God in new and exciting ways. Do something that's beyond what you're able to do because God will equip you to do it for him and for his kingdom. Step out that we will learn to practice trusting in God for even greater things than we are currently doing that ultimately we will, through our increased faith by seeing God work in our life, that ultimately we will come to know just how much Jesus can do if we are willing to allow him. Walking in step with God through faith in Jesus, it's the only way to ensure the life that God wants you to have. It's the only way to be what God created you to be, Imago Dei, in his image. It's the only way. Put your faith in Christ and then step out. I'd say step out of the boat, but that's the whole other story. But you know what I mean. Take a step of faith for Jesus. Maybe you've heard the illustration about the little girl and her father that were, there's a video and they were dancing. It is beautiful. I mean, I'm, I'm not a dancer. I'll tell you that. Ask Danielle to tell you the story about it, her wedding. She, she insisted I just had to do the daddy dancer, the bride's dance. Woo, that was a mistake. But anyways, uh, <laughs> we got through it. And as I walked back to my seat, I'll tell you the story here, uh, a lady in the crowd grabbed my tux and Jerry, Jerry. And I thought she had a really interesting fact for me. And she said, you can't dance. And I said, well, we knew that before I went out. But this, this dad and his little girl, they could dance. And the video is just beautiful of, you know, the flowing movements. And, and she's following. She's only five or six years old, like little Finley, our granddaughter. And she's looking up at her daddy. And you can just tell that they love each other so much. And you're kind of almost engrossed in this to where you kind of zone out to the beauty of it. And then the camera zooms out. And you see that the little girl's feet are on top of her dad's. That's why she's following him so well. Because she's stepping where he's stepping. Folks, that would be my challenge this morning. Many of you are probably already, I don't, I don't know you, so many of you may already be in perfect step with God. You're experiencing him doing amazing things in your life. If you're not, then please place your feet in the steps of the Father. Watch him create a beautiful dance for your life that would be fulfilling on earth and be eternal in heaven.
Father, thank you that we could spend this time in your word this morning. Lord, thank you for the message of your word. Thank you for the challenge that as we walk with you, you'll be the one who will lead in this dance that we call life. And that ultimately it will lead to what the song sung about, where we'll sing together with the angels and the saints in glory as we've completed the dance that you've called us to do. Lord, we give you praise for all that you're going to do in these days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.